Greetings. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You can say that with some gusto, some excitement, because that's big news, right? Uh, it's big news. It changes everything. It's why we gather today on Sunday, uh, because it's Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. When we get together, it's a reminder of that. That's why we have the table with the Lord's Supper, with communion, for us to be reminded of his resurrection every week, that as we gather, we're continued to be reminded of that. And so many will just focus on calling today rather than Easter, the resurrection day, because it is in this day that um, everything has changed. Everything has changed. And so as we sing today, I was excited. Han Sol said, we were singing, I speak Jesus. And just as I had desired in my heart, I told him, I just ready to hear Ju Young sing the song because uh, I love her voice and the power that she sings and the conviction. And it was just as great for my heart. I hope it was for yours as well. Um, yeah, today as we, as we continue into this Easter season, um, uh, you also know it's a good day or going to be a good day, I think, when uh, the enemy wants to like come after you. Um, the enemy is coming after us today. Like our stuff that normally works, none of it was working. We showed up, nothing's, nothing's working, resetting. And so you heard a lot of Ji Young on this side. Um, not as much Ji Young as you guys heard because Ji Young's only coming through this speaker because we're having to rework, we had to rework everything at the last minute. Um, so thankful for Heath. Uh, and the worship team to like sit back and take the time to troubleshoot and figure those things out. Um, but uh, it's also a reminder to us, again, what, what matters. I mean, at the end of the day, I told Heath, all we need to be able to do is come together and sing. We don't need anything on the screen. We don't need any of these things. They might help us, um, but we don't have to have it for us to get here. And so um, to be here together today to celebrate He is Risen. I love Josh and I were talking right before. Maybe we need to update He is Risen indeed. There's some, you know, what was the first word? What did y'all come up with? For real. For real. For real, right? Even more hip and modern would be no cap, right? Like there's no lie. It's no lie. If you don't know what that means, that means you're old. All right? That just is what that means. Does this mean? Is that too, is that too modern? Yeah. That's too modern? Okay. Okay. Uh, no cap means no lying. So just in case, I'll, tra I'll be the, the urban di dictionary for you guys and translate it for, for all you old people. Because some of us are hip and cool. I was saying that, you know, all the time. Um, but, but it is a big deal. And it's what we've been even leading up to in our, our talking about missing Jesus is that so often um, we have missed or others have missed Jesus and what his desire is in, in bringing the kingdom. His desire throughout scriptures. In fact, we talked about it last week that Jesus talking about the kingdom uh, is one of the things he talks about the most throughout scripture. If you were to ask people, what is Jesus's main message, right? You might hear most often, love your neighbor, right? Um, or love, love God as much as, and, and then love your neighbor. But that's wrapped up inside of this message of, of bringing the kingdom, of being the kingdom of God, of seeing the kingdom of God at work. In fact, if you look, because what you notice also, if you were to look through that, right? So, so much, so like 55 times, it's, I think it's 126 times throughout the Gospels, 55 times in just, in just Matthew alone does he talk about the kingdom of God. More, almost more than any other, like, if you were to like pull out topics, you might start getting ahead of that. But like those all fit under the idea of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is encompassing all of that. It is about his reign and rule. Um, 
And some might even look, as I was reading about it this week, some, some look at it and think, well, we only talk, it's only mainly talked about in the Gospels, but then later on, it's, you don't hear it as much in the epistles or the writing. And the reason is, what you see is that the kingdom of God has come. And so they're no longer talking about it in this present tense. They're saying, it's here. And so anytime you're seeing Jesus as Lord, is like basically the same thing as like acknowledging the kingdom of God is here. You don't have to acknowledge the kingdom of God because the kingdom is only important. The kingdom is all based on who is in charge? Who is the king? And it's Jesus. He is the Lord. So when they're saying Jesus is Lord throughout the rest of the New Testament, that's what you're seeing is they're acknowledging there is a king and it is Jesus. And so we've looked about Jesus bringing the kingdom, inaugurating the kingdom, that he is the kingdom. Mark chapter one, verses 14 through 15 says, now after John was arrested, John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in this good news that God is bringing his kingdom. It's coming, right? It also means that it also helps us understand the kingdom isn't just like some place you go when you die. It's not just heaven where people are floating around and there's angels, you know, that's not just, that's not singularly a picture of the kingdom of God. In fact, most of our pictures of heaven are probably wrong. We won't get into that today. But Jesus declares, uh, so Jesus brings the kingdom. He says, I am the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. He declares it and displays the kingdom. Matthew 4, 23 through 25, he went through all of Galilee, teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and throughout, uh, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases, pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Again, I've said this a couple of times as we've talked about this. Imagine what this group of people look like. Jesus was declaring the, gospel, the kingdom. He's going into all the synagogues. He's saying it with his mouth, proclaiming it. And then he's also displaying it. He's bringing it. It says that he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases, pain, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them, right? Like imagine that crowd again. Like God has put this on my heart and it's a helpful reminder to me. That's what, that's what Jesus looked out when he looked at the crowds around him. That's what he saw. Were people afflicted with everything you could imagine. He didn't look out and see a bunch of the wealthy people with everything all in order. He didn't see everybody that had everything. Granted, those people were there. They're not wrong or bad either, right? But in this group was a mixture of every type of illness. People with seizures, the demonic. Imagine this crowd is going a little, I mean, it's gonna be a little antsy, right? If there's people having seizures and there's demonic people there and Jesus is speaking, the demons don't like Jesus. What do we see every time a demon comes encounter with Jesus? They, they, they typically are acting up. Right? They're not just like, oh, that's Jesus. No, they're like, no, Jesus, get out of here. They recognize who he is. So imagine this is what's going on in the crowd. This is what's being brought. This is the people that are following him around. That ought to be a picture, again, of the people that we are around, that we are bringing into our life, that we're opening our doors to, right? Jesus opened up and sat at the table and shared meals with the broken, the needy, the sick, the hurting, The various diseases, even today it caught me, and pains. I love that. Like just people with pain, pains. 
physical pains, emotional pains, people with pain were coming. You know it's got to be something if someone with pain is continuing to follow along, right? If you have pain, you don't want to go do anything. So, so greater than this pain is the hope in Jesus that he might bring. We talked last time about transforming the kingdom. The idea of last week as he's coming into the, into the uh, Jerusalem for this final time, this reminder of why he is there, right? To say this is all something different. This is not what you were thinking. You thought this was gonna be uh, political upheaval. This is really about upheaval of your life. And we remember that from... Um, Remember that from uh, John chapter 18, verses 33 to 36 and this encounter with Pilate. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say I am? A, uh, do you say I am? Uh, uh, do you say this of your own accord? Sorry. Or did others tell you to say this about me? Um, or others tell you to say this about me? Pilate answered him, I, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be, have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of, from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For, the, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He's, he's, he's saying he's the king without saying he's king. They're going to all listen to my voice and do what I say. That's what I am. That's who I am. And you might acknowledge that. And this kingdom looks very different. He transforms their view of it. And in fact, what happens to Jesus after leaving Pilate's presence has already begun to happen, even in, in his, um, his betrayal from Judas and, and leading up to the cross, shows the difference of the kingdom. He shows it's holistic in its nature, redemptive in its mission, and cosmic in its scope, it's greater. Jesus shows Pilate that he meet what it means to be the king of his kingdom. Most kings ask their people to give up their life for the king or kingdom, right? Hey, if you're gonna follow me, you gotta be willing to lay down your life to be a part of my kingdom, for have my protection to live under my reign. You've gotta be willing to give up your life for him. Rather, Jesus lays down his life and sacrifices himself for those to be in his kingdom. Most kings want their people to give them everything. Keep giving it to me. What yours is, what's yours is now mine, and this will make our kingdom greater, right? Every one of you and me collecting all of our things and we'll become greater that way. And Jesus says, I'm gonna give all of myself so that we might have a relationship with God, so that we might have all of what he deserves, all of his inheritance, that we might, as we've sung and heard today, be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God rather than a king that's looking over going, I've got it made, this is perfect for me. He's coming out of heaven to come endure and be there. That Jesus endures mocking, wears a crown of thorns. Jesus, our king, his crown is a crown of thorns. And he is lifted up, but he's lifted up on a cross as a criminal to pay our sins, to, to take on what we have done, all of our wrongs, not just mine, everyone's, all of them, rather than kneeling and honoring him, they spit on him. 
and they hurled insults at him. That's the difference of this kingdom, a transformed kingdom. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to take on and endure all of what you've had to deal with, all what you would deserve so that you might get what I deserve and to walk in his life. And he does that through purchasing the kingdom. And when I started this series, I, I used that term, purchase the kingdom. And as I've gotten closer and closer to, the, to today, I, I, I wish I would have said it differently. I wish I would have said uh, that Jesus redeems the kingdom because he does purchase it. But I don't know that purchase, purchase for us today is like you stick your, you know, you push a button on your phone and you hold it over a thing or it doesn't really make a lot of, you know, like purchasing something doesn't really fully give the idea of it, even redeeming it now, right? It's not the olden days where you're cutting off like, you know, barcode scans and getting 10 of those and mailing that in with a little thing to get something back to redeem something, right? Ever done that in your life? Try to redeem something? You ever tried to redeem if they go into a store and try to do all the things, the hoops they go through to get you to redeem something, right? I remember a few years ago, I bought um, some uh, wiper blades at AutoZone. And to redeem, if you bought these wiper blades, you got a $10 AutoZone gift card. Well, I was like, this is awesome. Great. Amazing. Love it, man. I was like, I got wiper blades for, I think we had three cars at the time. All three of the cars got wiper blades. Yes. That's 30 bucks we're going to get. Right? 30 bucks we're going to get out of this. I, can, I, I can't even tell you the amount of time and energy it took to get that $30. I was like, this is the biggest waste of my time. Like, fill in this. Fill out this form. Send this in. Has to be by this date. Don't do it any later. Like, to, to redeem and to get that. And then they send it to you, and it's like, only able to be used online with this certain code on these certain days. I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is not what I thought I wanted it to be, right? But the idea of trying to redeem it, right? to get something, to, to make it right, to bring something back. I was like, man, this is crazy. But I, I think that gives us a better picture. And even we'll talk about here what that word redeemed really means. But through his vic- victorious death and resurrection, Jesus redeems the kingdom. He satisfies the wrath of God poured out for those who rebel against, his, uh, against God's rule. Jesus defeats Satan, sin, and death. He overcomes the world, the flesh, and the devil by destroying the power of the kingdom of darkness, by redeeming a kingdom people at the cross. Jesus proves himself to be the rightful ruler of the restored kingdom. Catherine read this in our call to worship today. Hear it again from Ephesians chapter 1, describing this picture, right? Blessed be the God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Um, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7. In him we have the redemption, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Redemption through the blood of Jesus. To redeem means to buy back or secure the freedom of someone in bondage. 
So when we think, and I'm using that description of redeeming, like trying to go through some place to get a few extra dollars, imagine what it's like to bring back someone who's been in slavery or bondage and to take and pay that penalty. It means whatever they have done to get there, you're saying, I'm going to make it right. Whatever money they owe, I'm going to make it right. Whatever debt they need to be paid, I'm going to make it right. And because of our sins, we all were or continue to be in this spiritual captivity, right? Our violations of God's law mean we deserve his omnipotent righteous wrath. But in Christ, by the shedding of his blood, which, he, uh, which forgives our sins before God, he purchases our freedom. He redeems us. He buys us back from, the just, uh, from justice and from the power of Satan. Colossians 2, 3, uh, 13 through 14 says, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us in its legal demands. There is, through, through this self-offering at the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame. This de uh, decisive weapon the demons had against us was unforgiven sin. Can I tell you that? Like, that might be one of the things you carry around with you the most is this sin that maybe you've not even confessed. While we talked about confession today is we've got unforgiven sin. It's not that Jesus won't forgive us, that we're carrying around as a burden that's wrapped around us. But when Jesus spilled his own blood in our place to forgive our sins, he freed us from that captivity. He redeemed us from Satan and the record of debt and the legal demand against us. We talk about it in this way. He, Jesus frees us from the penalty of sin. Jesus' blood frees us from the penalty of sin. We are no longer bound to debt. We've been redeemed. It also frees us from the power of sin. Yes, do we mess up? Do we make mistakes? Do we sin and rebel against God? Maybe as a better definition of sin is any rebellion against God is sin. Any going against God's way is sin. His way and rule. And so he, he frees us from the power of sin. And ultimately, our, our hope and knowledge is that he will ultimately free us from the presence of sin one day. That when he returns, when Jesus comes back after his resurrection, sin will be no more. There'll be no more tears, no more sickness, no more sorrow. Sin will be a thing of the past that we won't even have to talk about anymore because we'll be so enamored with our Savior King. As we look at those verses, it even reminds us he saves us for, all, for, for forgiveness of all sins. Again, all have sinned, all have missed the mark. Sin is any and all rebellion against God's ways and God himself. When we sin, even against our brother or sister or someone else, we are sinning against God. And so even in that, we're confessing to him and recognizing our need for forgiveness. I love that he did this again, the forgiveness of our sins, but also he says in that verse 7, according to the riches of his grace, and then continue verse eight, which he lavished upon us. I was trying to think if I've ever had anything lavished upon me. Right? But like what that, what, to imagine that word that he like so richly gave on to us, like just without any like hesitation, just like, just so gracious, so kind, so overwhelming. It, it reminds me of, I don't know if anybody had grandmas like this. Um, Jill had a grandma uh, like this that was just like, you came over and you cannot eat enough food. Like there's, 
It's just always eat more. From the time you walk in to the time you leave, it's eat more, like please eat this food. You've got like, she just like continues to want to bring in. I think that that was her way of lavishingly loving us, right? She grew up without very much food. She wanted to make sure if you walked into her house, you were never gonna go without. And she enjoyed even the food that was not that great. I got a, I was a teacher uh, for a few years and I got this, well, you know, Christmas present of a, a pantatone. Ever had one of those? Like, like basically like a fruitcake, like a big tall fruitcake. And I took it over her house and she was like, I, I will know, she was so enamored by it and just all the time cutting it into slices and let's eat this. Oh, it's so wonderful. I mean, every crumb enjoyed. It's just like that when I think of God lavishing us with his grace, it's like him just wanting us to be around, like experience this, know this. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, I want you to understand this. Experience it, bring it in. Let, let it be like a sweet aroma to you. Every bit of it. They're, they're doing it with you too. That's the other thing I love about this. It's like bringing you into that. And the desire for this is to unite all things in him and on heaven and on earth to reestablish what was broken in the rebellion in the fall in Genesis 3, right? To say, hey, where, where sin has destroyed and broken everything, right? Right through one man, Adam, all things, sin has been destroyed. Jesus, through one man, all things will be made new. And so when we go through this and we talk about redemption, it is impossible to talk about redemption and not talk about the blood of Jesus, there, there was a part of me that wanted every song today to just sing about the blood of Jesus. And there's another part of that that are like, okay, that would just pick you out of a weird service. But that might also help us to understand the importance of the blood. Because so much of our life has very little to do with, with any type of blood, right? To not connect it into that at all. And so let's look at that for a second here. And what does the blood have to do with this? And you cannot talk about the blood of Jesus and talk about his, his atoning sacrifice without talking about the day of atonement. Every year, it's still celebrating the Jewish holiday, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Right? Although many things have been added over the centuries, the basic description of the original day of atonement comes from Leviticus 16. Okay? It's a complex and detailed ceremonies, all focused on the central objective to completely, uh, to, uh, objective of complete atonement by sacrifice. The only way to fix everything was we've got we've to shed enough blood to make sure everything has been covered. And again, when we hear this, this isn't men got together and figured out how do we solve this problem? You know what I think it is? We need blood. No, this was comes from God. God gave them the law and he said this from the beginning. If you look back in the rebellion story, before it moves over, it's just a simple line at the end of chapter three. God clothed them, gave, gave them skins and clothed them and sent them on their way. What's the first thing that happens to Adam and Eve when they recognize they've sinned? They recognize we're naked. We don't have any clothes on anymore. And Jesus says, I mean, God says, Jesus is there with them in this, says, we're gonna make this right. And the way we do this is by the death, we're gonna make a sacrifice has to happen so that you can now be close, so that you can now receive. So there's this picture again from the very beginning of this need for some type of blood sacrifice, right? So the first thing that happens as they go into this, the first the high priest removed all of his official garments made for beauty and glory, right? And clothed himself in white linen as a symbol of repentance as he was about the duties of the day. Next, he offered a bull calf as a sign of offering for the priest and himself. When that was done, 
He entered the Holy of Holies with a censer of live coals from the altar of incense, filling the area uh, with incense. He sprinkled the, blood's, the bull's blood on the mercy seat and on the, and on the floor before the Ark of the Covenant. So again, as you think about this, when you walk into and we talk about the temple or the tabernacle and the priest going into there, he's sprinkling around blood everywhere. So it's not this pristine place. And I joked with Jill yesterday. I was like, could we get fake blood and just like sprinkle like, like, like the, like just the, she's like, that's not, that's not even funny. No, but I was like, there is this reality of like how removed we can be from this. And I say this not to like, oh man, but there's a portion of this that then gives even more meaning to what Jesus has done. It says once he's done that, um, the, the high priest uh, uh, cast lots over two live goats that have been brought by the people. So the people will bring these two live goats there and he casts lots over the goats. And one of the goats, uh, he kills one of the goats as a sin offering for the nation, for all the people of Israel, taking the blood inside the veil and sprinkling it as, uh, as before, thus atoning even for the holy place. He confessed the sins of the nation over the live goat, the one that, that you know, kind of made it out of this and didn't have to give his life. And he placed his, with, by placing his hands upon its head, and then finally he sends this live goat out called the scapegoat. And he places all the sins on it, and he sends it out into the wilderness. Symbolically, it carried away the sins of the people. When the high priest clothed himself in his usual apparel, offered a burnt offering for himself and one for the people with the fat of the sin offering, and then outside of the camp, the flesh of the bull calf and the goat was burned. Like this is, like, this is happening every year. Every year this has to happen. It has to happen this way. And it has to happen, go down this way. So we see this, this picture of the sacrifice, the day of atonement, the need for this. And then now we get to the New Testament. In the New Testament, the book of Hebrew builds, Hebrews builds this bridge from the Old Testament sacrificial system and all the blood and the new covenant and Jesus' once for all sacrifice. So listen to Hebrews chapter nine, verses 11 through 14. So, but when Christ appeared as a high priest, now Christ, Christ is all in this because now he's also the high priest. He's the high priest of the good things that have come and uh, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. No longer do they have to go back year after year after year after year to atone for their sins. He's saying, I'm done. It is finished. When he cries, it is finished. That's what he is meaning. It is done. It has been paid. We have been redeemed. For, for the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, to be a part of this new kingdom. When we talk about the story of God, we, we share this statement that, uh, and it's a theme throughout the Bible, that blood represents life. You see it in Genesis chapter 9, verse 4 specifically. And the spilling or shedding of blood in turn depicts death, right? Because 
the just penalty of human sin against God is death, Romans 6.23, the death of sanctioned animal sacrifices, though uh, through the presentation of their blood, stood in temporary, uh, a temporary re a requirement for the death of sinners. Yet the high priest, he just had to keep on coming back over and over again. Uh, and yet, for Jesus coming, he changes that. And the hope of Israel was one final day of reckoning would come to change everything. We believe this now and celebrate that now in Christ, under the terms of a new covenant, the reckoning has come. Jesus willingly offered himself by once and for all shedding his own blood, bringing to its intended completion the temporary covenant that came before and inaugurating in its place this eternal covenant, which we call the new covenant. Think of how Jesus was even introduced by John the Baptist in the Gospels, right? Behold, the Lamb of God. If you're thinking of the Day of Atonement, I don't know that I want to be called the Lamb of God. Neither of those opportunities were things that I would want to, would I want to sacrifice on the altar or I want everyone's sin cast upon me and then sent out into the wilderness, never to be apart with anybody again. Neither of those seemed like opportunities that I would want to volunteer for, but yet that was how John the Baptist looked at him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He does both. He covers our sins with his blood. He, sent, he takes our sins and removes them far from us. Hebrews celebrates some of the specific benefits that we enjoy because of Jesus' blood. But Apostle Paul in particular, who celebrates the manifold grace that comes because of his blood, we see this all throughout Paul's writings. In one sense, we cannot connect Jesus' blood every, uh, we can connect Jesus' blood uh, to every divine grace that comes to us. But Paul makes the connection explicit in a few ways. I want to look at those today. Um, we've talked about redemption as being part of that. He's redeemed us and bought us with his blood. The next one we might look at is propitiation. That Jesus removes God's wrath. Turning away from the anger by the offering of a gift is what propitiation means. Romans 3.25 says, Jesus is the one whom God put forward as a propitiation, propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Because God is just and the sins of his people are no small obstacle. In his kindness and grace, he has chosen to, get to love us. Yet in his justice, he cannot sweep our sins to a side. Which would be, those would be acts of cosmic treason against him, right? Under the rug, we can't just sweep it away. So in love, he devises a way to satisfy the justice and still triumph with mercy. Both can happen. God himself in the person of his own son takes on human flesh and, the, and blood and offers himself in the place of the sinful people. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God, to receive the wrath of God, the just wrath of God, and to pay our penalty in his death all that we, so that all, we might all live. His blood then signifying the sacrificial giving of his life in the place of those deserving death. He propitiates his righteous wrath and upholds divine justice and opens the floodgates of his mercy. That's what the blood brings. That's what this does. We also see it in justification. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter five, verse nine. He says, we have now been justified by his blood. Justified's courtroom language, right? It's like he's coming in as the judge. 
When the prosecution and the defense each present their case and the judge or jury makes a declaration either righteous or condemned, the defendant is either guilty as charged or declared to be right in standing of law, justified. The reason for those who are united in Christ uh, and are united to Jesus by faith are justified um, is owing in part to his sacrificial substitutionary death. He stepped into our place. He willingly shed his own blood, not for his own sins, because he had none, but for ours. The spilling of his blood to cover our sins made possible our sharing in his righteousness by joining us to him through faith. Without his blood, our unrighteousness would remain unaddressed. We could not stand with him at final judgment and receive with him the Father's declaration as righteous. It also talks about forgiveness to restore our best relationship, right? We've seen the importance and we know the importance of forgiveness. Ephesians 2.13 says it this way though. Now in Christ, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. At the heart of this, bringing near is the restoration of humanity with the divine. The individual level, it's the creation in Christ, right? Of personal access and relationship with God that we, born into sin, should never, could never have secured. The idea here is that we can't get forgiveness by just doing more good things. You ever done that? You mess up, and so what do you, like, oh, I messed up. Let me do some good things to overcome my mess up, my, my you know? get an argument, get upset, how do, I, how do I get forgiveness, right? We even think forgiveness can be earned, no. It's given. I've got, I've got, I, you gotta be willing to even receive that on our own, on one side of it. Our sin and our rebellion against God has put distance between us and him. And that's often the distance that we feel between, between him where we feel lonely with God. In fact, brought near by Jesus, brought near by the blood of Christ gets at the heart of what each of these divine gifts of Jesus' blood does for us. It brings us to God. The blood of Christ brings us to God. Think of that, no longer a sacrificial system. We get brought close to God. We have a nearness of God. There is, the veil was torn, right? There's no longer a holy of holies. What is what are the, the tongues of fire over their heads that we read about in Acts uh, this last year talk about? They remind us now that we now are the temples. The Holy Spirit resides in us. He is sanctifying us. This is a picture again of that new kingdom, of that transformed kingdom. There may not be a better summary what we've seen so far about the power of Jesus' blood than 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered once for sins that the righteousness the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And that leads to the last thing today he talks about is reconciliation to make peace with God himself. Maybe the thing that most people don't realize is that yes, God loves them, but there's something needs to be made right. The relationship is broken and God himself fixes that with Jesus's blood. The God-centered aim of these effects of Jesus's blood is confirmed in peacemaking between God and his people. In Christ, God reconciles to his people, to himself, by making peace by the blood of the cross. That he shed his blood on the cross has been implicit in each instance here, right? But Paul makes it plain. It is by the blood of his cross 
that makes peace between God and man. He made peace, uh, um, he made peace with an instrument of intentional and horrific torture and execution when we think about the cross. His blood was not shed by accident. It was not random death. Tragic as it was, it was deliberate and it was voluntary. He was executed unjustly and his blood was spilled on purpose at the cross, both by sinful man and the holy God man. Like Jesus willingly went there. He said, I've set my mind to Jerusalem. I know what I've got to do. And he's even saying, God, I know if, there, there's, an, if there's any other way, would you please let this cup pass before me? Don't make me have to go through this. But I'm willing to do this because of my love for the people and your love for those in this world. They took his life and he gave it. In doing so, he absorbed the righteous wrath of God, granted his full legal acceptance, purchased our true freedom, restored our most important relationship, and made peace with us, reconciled us with God himself. This is how Paul says it elsewhere. He secured the church of God, with uh, which he obtained by his blood, his precious blood. So today we celebrate our redemption, the redemption of his kingdom people. And we celebrate this with his resurrection. These two are uniquely tied together. Because in his redemption, the shedding of his blood, what happened on Friday of this week, as we remember, is that he was crucified and died. But what makes this even more remarkable, even more amazing, is that he didn't stay dead. The resurrection proves he is God by defeating death, right? And the, res- and the account we read earlier from the resurrection, it says he is risen. You could say he is risen indeed. That's all right, but that's all right. You missed the cue, that's all right. I didn't give you much warning. For real, there we go. I like that too, I'll take that. I'll take that too. Nobody said no cap, but that's all right. That's all right. Not only did he redeem us, but he defeated death and he rose again. So we can sing, oh death, where is your sting? Because death is not the end. Not only did he raise others from the dead, right? Like that's a, that's a crazy thing in and of itself. He, reading again this last week, the story of Lazarus. And he says, Jesus says, because I love Lazarus, even though he's gonna die, he knows he's like, they're saying, you gotta get here, he's dying. He's sick, he's not doing well. I'm gonna stay here. He says, because he loved Lazarus, he stayed there two more days. What? Because Jesus knows I have power over death and my love is gonna show through by bringing him back to life more than me going, being there and saving him to never die. That, that seems crazy for us, right? I don't know, man, I got rather you just go there and never let him die. But Lazarus outtrumps everybody's story any dinner party he ever goes to, right? Anybody else ever been brought back from the dead? Right? Anybody else out there? Anyone? Okay, okay, that's great. Like, because that's what happened. And he gets to go, this is how much I know my God loves me, how, know, how I know this is the Messiah. But not only did he raise others from the dead, he had the power to raise himself from the dead. Jesus is the Messiah, our Savior King, the King of our kingdom. <laughs> His resurrection is also a picture of us of what it's like to be a part of the kingdom. The resurrection is a part, reminds us of that. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says it this way, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with 
the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And why is he the Lord? Because he shed his blood and he resurrected. We get to receive interest into the kingdom, not by doing or earning, because of what, but because of what Jesus has done. And he has done it all for us. He now wants to give us new life. He wants to give us a resurrected life. He wants our old life to die and a new life to come. How do I know I have a new life? Because there's a part of me, there's a part of you that every day we wake up and it just, it responds in a certain way over and over again. And then a new life, it's like all of a sudden it responds different. I have grace and love and care for people I would not normally have grace and love and care for. I am generous and kind and loving. And how do I know that? Because that's coming through Jesus. Any good and perfect gift that I have or that I give to anyone else comes from the Father. And so the reminder of this is that once we've confessed with our mouth and believe that we, he, we believe, then we are saved and we are part of that kingdom. We get to receive entrance into the kingdom. Can I tell us again, it's not by earning or doing. And that is so counterintuitive to what we feel and what we live out every day. Can I just be a little bit better? God will love me. God will be happy. As we've said, and I'll say again, God loves you. He loves you right now. He loves you, not the, perfect, the perfected you down the way that will do everything right. He loves you. So on this Resurrection Sunday, we can stop trying to earn it or be a better person to gain more favor with God. Like we don't have to move up the ranks of the sons and daughters. I'm a better son or daughter to God today. I don't have to move up the ranks because we're all seen as if we're Jesus. That's the way he looks at us today. We don't have to try to balance the scales of good and bad, right? Do I do more good than I did bad? So then we're, all right, then I'm better. I am I've made it okay with God. I've done enough good. We cannot purchase our salvation. But we can received, receive the salvation gift to us that has already been redeemed for us. He has gone through all the hoops. He has done everything needed to make sure that we can have a relationship with God. You can accept that. You don't have to know every answer or know what to do. In fact, Jesus said to come to him like a child. Think of a child, lots of questions. I don't have it all figured out. <laughs> he didn't say, come to me like a mature guy who got, has it all figured out, who's done all the study and knows all the right answers that can share with everybody. You come with faith like a child. Can, can a child give a lot of rational reasons sometimes for things? No, like just, they just, just, just happens. Why? I don't know, because it does. That's the way it is, right? Simple faith. Believing in him. When you confess that you believe in him and what Jesus did for you in his life, death, and resurrection, you then become part of his kingdom. In that, it causes us to live life differently. So today, either you have not yet called on the name of Jesus, you've not yet recognized that, and you can do that. 
So I want to follow after him. I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want to exchange my sin and my brokenness for his, for his redemption. I want him to redeem me. And Jesus says, I will do that right today. It's as simple, simple as saying, Jesus, I want to follow after you. I want to follow after you. For those who are following Jesus, who are part of the kingdom, then the call is to live the resurrected life. And it first starts by being with Jesus. And that might sound like too simple, but it is that simple. But it is also like revolutionary because for us, we want to do. And so being with Jesus means like, how do I just be with Jesus? I'm excited over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about Sabbath and resting. Jesus is like, this, this, this might be some of the most hard things for me to talk about, but for us to even understand in our culture to just be with Jesus. That he doesn't want anything else from you, but to just be with him. What does it mean when you're just with someone? You ever just ridden in a car in silence with somebody? Not silence because they have their AirPods on and you're just in silence. Like, no, you're just silent. To just be with somebody? You're confident enough in the relationship that I don't need something else to block out the noise. I can just be there. That's what he wants. And that as disciples and as apprentices and as following after him to being with Jesus, then we start becoming like him. We start living our life like him and then ultimately doing what he does. The doing what he does comes after being and becoming. And so the encouragement for us as believers is, might you just be with Jesus today? to just be alone. If you've not been with Jesus like that, just to be silent and alone with him, it'll be awkward and it'll be hard and it'll be different and it'll be like, I don't know. And it might only last 30 seconds, maybe a minute. Maybe you're really awesome and it's five minutes. But it's a start of freeing us from some of the bondage we put on ourselves that being with Jesus means I need to read every, the scripture every time. Yes, yes, we need to read our Bibles. But you can read your Bible and not be with Jesus. You can be here today and not be with Jesus because you can be and want to be somewhere else. Jesus wants to be with you in every part of your life. And that's our encouragement today is to accept his blood, to accept his redemption, to step into that life and to live a resurrected life. We get to live a resurrected life, a new life. We can say, I was dead once. We can. We can be Lazarus at the party. I, I was dead. You'd be like, what? You flatlined? Nope, never flatlined. But I was dead once. Huh? Yeah, I was living this life that was dead end. It had no hope. It had nothing to offer me except doing more and not getting nothing. But then I was resurrected by Jesus and he gave me a new life. He did that by his blood. Now you might not want to go into all that with him right there the first moment, but you know that. I've been freed. I've been redeemed. I'm a new person. It's not me anymore. It's him. It's not I to live, right, Paul says, but Christ in me, through me. That's the way this works. So that we might walk forward in that. I can't wait for an opportunity to share more about living a resurrected life and even... Um, 
thinking about how to engage others in that. I hope you'll do the same.